Last week, I talked about roles and goals and how the world today has systematically destroyed the signposts in the world so that we can't recognize anymore what our role in life is. It has gotten to the point now where we don't even recognize whether we're men and women. And I want to continue that talk, but I want to continue it in the light of today's reading from John. Specifically, it says, starting in one nine, the true light which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to be a child of God in the context of what I talked to you about last week. So let me sort of recap. I started off last week and said that people today are confused and angry. All you have to do is look at the news. The anger and confusion out there, literal insanity, is becoming obvious for everybody to see. And that's because the landmarks that God created for us have systematically been destroyed. And if you don't understand what your role in life is, and your role is something that you figure out by seeing the landmarks around you, then formulating realistic goals becomes impossible. In other words, if you don't know where you are, figuring out where you want to go is extremely difficult. Now, God gives us scripture, and scripture has, I will suggest to you, four purposes. The first one is to let us know that all of this that we're going through has a point. There's a reason for this. And that is huge because a lot of the people who have had their landmarks destroyed don't believe that there's a purpose to any of this. They just sort of believe that it all happened by accident. And the only thing that really matters then to them is their own perspective because they don't see any larger purpose except their own existence and that's where they focus so if things don't go well according to their perspective then they get confused and angry and that's because they don't see a purpose second thing that scripture does for us is it actually tells us very little about God what it tells us about God is that he made everything he has standards so he gives us standards and that he loves us beyond that most of what you think you know about God is reasoning by theologians and you know, maybe good, maybe not. But there's a lot of stuff that people think they know about God that isn't really scriptural because God doesn't really tell us a lot about himself in scripture. What he does tell us a lot about is us, humanity. And what he does is he gives us case studies in our own nature. So all of the stories that you read in Scripture, you can look at and say, these are case studies in human nature. And this is how somebody behaved here under these circumstances, and this is what happened. And as you read those, what you do is you get an education in the world without necessarily having to invest any of your own skin. I mean, the world is going to teach you one way or the other. It's sort of like riding a motorcycle. It's really better if you figure out that you don't want to hit the asphalt 
by listening to somebody talk to you than it is by actually hitting the asphalt. In either case, you're going to figure out that it's not a good idea to hit the asphalt. You're going to get that lesson. But it really works better if you can get it from the training tape or from your instructor rather than having to experience it firsthand. And that's one of the things scripture does for us. These case studies tell us if you behave this way, you're going to hit the asphalt. And one hopes then that you can learn from that not to behave that way. The other thing that scripture tells us is what roles God has assigned to us. So he makes some of us men and some of us women. Those are different roles. And as I said last time, this society gets all wound up about who's worth more. And my wife said that I gave you a bad example. I'll give you a different example this time. You've got out there, you've got a truck, and you've got a motorcycle. Saying a motorcycle is better than a truck is a waste of bandwidth. They're used for different things. And if you need to haul a load of manure, you need a truck. Doesn't work really well to haul manure on a motorcycle. And similarly, if you want to go fast and go up through the mountains and all that kind of stuff, the motorcycle is your thing. Different roles. So the idea of equality between them is just a stupid discussion because we're talking about different roles. And then the final thing that scripture tells us is what the rules are for God's household. So he tells us how to live together in peace. Now we don't do a very good job of that, but he tells us. He tells us how to handle conflict. He knows that we're going to rub each other the wrong way. He tells you how to handle that in a way that restores the community to peace. And as I said, he gives you wisdom without the necessity of you going through the painful experience to get it. We're studying Proverbs on Tuesday nights. And that's what Proverbs is. This is how you go through life without having to lay your bike down and hit the asphalt. And if you learn it from studying Proverbs, your wisdom will be just as good as if you'd hit the asphalt, but it'll be a whole lot less painful. So, child of God, that's what I said last time is one of our roles. We are children of God. Now, the question is, what does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is you are of the same type in some way as the parent is. So, all of you got pets. You love your dog. Your dog is a companion. Your dog is wonderful. Your dog is not your child. I'm very serious. You can invest love and emotion and care and all those kinds of things in a pet, and appropriately so. But it's fundamental that a pet is not a child. We are not God's pets. We are God's children. There's a fundamental difference between a pet and a child. He does not call us his pets. Occasionally he calls us sheep because we're so stupid. But that's sort of like you talking to your kid. The fundamental relationship between us and him is child and parent, which means that in some way we are of the same substance as he is. Remember he says in Genesis, he created us in his own image. We have the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary and impregnating her, and nine months later she gives birth to a human child. This is all stuff that beings of the same species do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we're gods, and I'm not saying that we are in any way, shape, or form equivalent to God. But understand the difference between a pet and a child. And the fact that he uses child to describe us instead of pets is important. So, let's look at children. 
Let's look at what it means to be a child. First thing is, a child does not start off as an adult. Now, some of that is for plumbing reasons. You know, I mean, it would be really difficult on women if they did. Part of the reason they start off smaller than you are is you can grab them by the stacking swivel and say, ah, stop that. And by the time they're 25 years old, it gets kind of hard to do that anymore. So they start them off small, so you've got control over them for a while. Now, one of the things that's important for an adult to do for a child is to protect him. Because children are fools. The Bible describes them as fools. Everybody starts off as a young fool, which means that he doesn't know anything. He goes through life doing what he thinks sounds good, and he loses a lot of skin in that process. That's part of growing up. We all go through that. And the role of a parent is to protect his child from being a fool. And that's what scripture does, that's why God sets up hierarchies and so forth. The second thing a child must be is taught. You've got to have some way of passing on to the child the knowledge that he is going to need as an adult. That's the role of a parent, is to teach his children. And the last thing that a child must have is time to mature. This goes back to my young fool thing, where you get these young guys and they got more thrust than rudder, and all go in no direction. It just takes time to work your way out of that. Even very smart kids go through periods of doing really dumb stuff. And the only thing that will cure some of that is just time. Now, having said all that, let's take a look at the world that we're in. Now think of the world in terms of you are God's child and this is the place where he has put you. And think of that in terms of what a child needs. Well, this place is pretty dangerous. It really is. But he has given us his word. tells you how to live and navigate through this. He has given you parents who have gotten past the stupid stage, we hope, they don't all get past the stupid stage, unfortunately. But one hopes that your parents, by the time they have children, have sort of gotten beyond the young fool stage and have got some maturity, and they are then there to carry you along. So God has provided mechanisms within this place he has put you so that you are protected, you're taught, and you have time to mature. And as we are looking at our relationship with God, remember we're children, even though those of us who are 70-some-odd years old, we are still children in relation to God. So that means that this entire life that we have lived in this place is part of the process of God's protecting us, teaching us, and giving us time to mature. And so when you step off into the next phase of your life, which you do at physical death, one hopes that then you are past the young fool stage and you will step into adulthood in his presence. So let's think about this. Let's think about the world in relation to us being children. And I'll give you a couple of readings. One of them is from 1 John chapter 2. And it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So a couple of things are being told there. One you're being told is that this world is temporary, created for a purpose, and when that purpose has been accomplished, this world will pass away because it's no longer needed. Sort of like the playpen that you put your children in. Once your children hit adulthood, the playpen is not of any particular use anymore. The other thing, what he's telling you is recognize that the playpen that you're in is not the ultimate place and the ultimate goal of your life. So don't fall in love with the playpen. That's what he's telling you. He's not saying don't use it. He's not saying don't enjoy it. He's not saying any of that stuff. What he's saying is don't fall in love with it. Because that's not where you're going to be forever. And if you fall in love with the playpen, what's going to happen is your development is going to be arrested. And the playpen will not accomplish the purposes for which God designed it if you fall in love with it. So where's the first instance of scripture of falling in love with the playpen? The garden, isn't it? In case you don't remember, Genesis 3, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now look at here. When she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. So, back to 1 John. The desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions. So what's the possession that's promised there? Wisdom. So the desires of the flesh, she saw that it was good for food. The desires of the eyes. The tree was a delight to the eyes. So what John in First John is doing is taking you back to the garden, and he's telling you there is a case where we fell in love with the playpen, and because we fell in love with the playpen, we got sidetracked. Now, I was reading a pastor that I enjoy sometimes. He's a Calvinist. In fact, he's a Reformed Baptist, so I don't always agree with him. But he's a bright guy. His blog is Blog and Mayblog. And he has an interesting insight. If you read scripture, the places where it talks about the knowledge of good and evil, they all apply to a king or to a ruler. In other words, it is the function of a king or a ruler to be able to determine good and bad because cases are going to be brought to him, many of which are going to be difficult. And it's his job as a ruler to be able to discern good and evil. This guy's point was, I haven't studied it so I don't know, but it was interesting, is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was something of which we were intended to eat later. But remember going back to my thing as a child. We're children of God. So your children at some point in their lives may in fact be perfectly okay with drinking wine. 
As two-year-olds, no, that's not for you. And it isn't for you until you reach a certain stage of maturity. So his perspective is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there because it was necessary or would become necessary when we reached the level of maturity where we needed to be able to discern good and evil. I haven't studied that, but it was an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of that perspective before. But that we all start off as children, we all start off needing protection, we all start off needing a playpen around us to keep us from harming ourselves, certainly goes with that idea. So, back to the serpent now. How did the serpent get Eve to eat of the tree? Yea, as God said. Did he really say that? Now, one of the things that is endemic in our society right now is everything has to be presented with two sides. You get a straightforward news story about something, and they will always go out and dredge up some malcontent who, you know, this is wrong. So every story is presented as there are two sides to the story, and many times there are, but many times there are not. And what Satan does is makes you see two sides to everything, even when there aren't legitimately two sides. And what that does is it tears down the signposts in your life. Because what he does is he says, in every circumstance, well, i got to see both sides of this. And here's the signpost in front of you, which should be fixed, and you should be able to orient your life on it, And the snake comes along and says, well, you know, maybe that doesn't mean what it says it means. And what that does is it shapes your faith in the signpost. And this pastor was talking about it in terms of yoga pants and neon hair. There was apparently some discussion going on. And his comment was, a young lady walks into a church wearing yoga pants, and his comment was, wearing yoga pants that says, don't you wish, and wearing neon hair that says, don't you dare. Think about that for a minute. What he's saying is the scripture has very clear standards about how we are to live in community as men and women. Now, the most powerful drive that any of us has is the sex drive. It just is. And so if you operate in a community as if that were something that is a toy, then what you do is you wind up creating all sorts of problems within the community. And he's talking about it in terms of worldliness. Because what the world tells to that young woman is, you do whatever you want, and if anybody doesn't like it, they're wrong. In other words, a signpost has been removed. And I'm not picking on women in yoga pants. I'm just saying that's the example he used. I could have used a guy in something else. The point is, there are signposts out there, and our society is routinely destroying them on purpose. It's destroying the signposts that tell men and women how to behave in community safely. It's destroying the signposts that tell you how to relate to God. In fact, the signposts with respect to God are systematically being destroyed. That's what the business that 20 years ago where they were going through taking the Ten Commandments out of courthouses. That was an exercise in removing signposts so that you don't know where you are. And understand as you're going through life, God loves you. You are a child of God. And he has provided this playpen that you're in for your maturation and your growth so that you become an adult who is 
prepared to spend the next part of your life in his presence. That's what this is designed to do. But understand that every time you run into a dilemma and you look at scripture, and scripture is fairly clear saying, thou shalt not murder. Well, but there's two sides to this. You understand there's this poor, you understand how it goes? So as you're looking at scripture and you see the word of God is fairly clear here. What the snake will do is come along and say, well, yeah, but there's two sides to this. You just can't be black and white about this stuff. you got to see nuance. And by the way, the word sophisticated means worldly. Worldly has a bad connotation. Sophisticated has a good connotation. Sophisticated means that you're wearing the tuxedo and you're at the casino and you're doing a high roller and you're drinking champagne. And boy, are you cool. That's sophisticated. Worldly means that you're drunk laying in a gutter with flies on you. So understand that when people tell you that you're being naive, you're not sophisticated, you don't see all the nuances here, what you're doing is you're listening to the hiss of the snake. And what God wants you to do is look at the guidepost that he's giving you, starting with scripture, and discern for yourself what your course of action should be and not be seduced by the world because the world is just a tool to bring you into the presence of God. It is not the thing that you should be in love with.